G'day, and thanks for joining us for this week's Two Ticks Town Talk, a segment of the Australia Talks podcast. I'm DK. And I'm RD. Please enjoy this segment from the regular podcast. Okay, speaking of Western Australia, that's where we go this week for our two tips. <laughs> but it's, this, one's, this one's a lot more upbeat. Um, we go over to Western Australia to the town of Marble Bar in the uh, Pilbara. And my theme for the Two Ticks Town Talk this, uh, this week is above and below. So just a couple of details. Marble Bar's um, a town. It's also a rock formation over there that they thought was marble, but it was, um, I think, Jasper it was, was that it turned out to be. Uh, it's in the Pilbara, re- Pilbara region of northwestern Australia. It was the social centre of European settlers in the Pilbara region during the early 1900s. And it was constructed before any of the other towns currently established in the region. Just a bit of basic uh, history. Prior to the arrival of Europeans, the area around there was home to the Nyamal people, uh, Nyamal Aboriginal language group. Uh, It was part of the gold rushes to the Pilbara in the last 1880s. There'd been a gold rush up in the Kimberleys further north, but it basically ran out pretty quickly, and they headed south to uh, t- south to Pilbara. It was discovered; gold was discovered near Mar- Marble Bar in eighteen ninety one. Um, ninety three settlement was officially declared a town. Uh, 1980, 1899, the three hundred and thirty two ounce General Gordon gold nugget was discovered. Boy, wouldn't you? <laughs> Holy wouldn't moly. You? 332 ounces. That's got to be one of, surely that's like right up there in one of the biggest chunks. I, I think it is up there as, as notable. What's that? Three, what, what, what's gold at the moment? Gold's around, uh, what's that? That's, that's about 2K, very roughly US dollars. So that's going to be 668 US dollars. So yeah, it's going to be something like a $1.1 million nugget, very roughly, plus collector value. How many was it? Sorry. How many ounces? 332 ounces. Okay. I just Googled it. Yep. Apparently the biggest one is called the Welcome Stranger. Oh, yes. And it weighs 3,000. 523 Troy ounces. Okay, so one tenth of that. Bloody hell. Holy moly. (laughs) But it's not to take away from, uh, what did you say, the the sergeant something? Yeah, General Gordon. General Gordon. So uh, Welcome Stranger is also from Australia. From Um, Ballarat or something, wasn't it? uh, Mulligal. Oh, I don't know where that is. Mulligal, Victoria. Yeah, I should know, but near near apparently it's sixty k's west of Bendigo. Oh, Bendigo. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Around that region, and yeah. it was only it was only three centimeters below the surface. Wow, you'd think someone was <laughs> playing a joke on you, wouldn't you? <laughs> That's like what the hell? <laughs> God, uh, Gold Rush was short lived. Nineteen oh five, the prospectors had uh, buggered off and held, headed for the richer fields at Coolgardie. Um. Couple of factoids. Filthy hot 
in Marble Bar. Yeah. That's yeah. Probably, <laughs> probably one thing. Known as the hottest town in Australia. It's still got that record. It holds that record from uh, the, the Guinness Book of Records. It had 161 consecutive days. This is in um, 1924 where... The Temperature never dropped below uh, 37.8 degrees Celsius, which is 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, my oh. God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the novelty be wearing off there, 161 days. Bloody hell. And that record still stands. Um, wow. During all the time that records have been kept, temperature in towns never dropped below zero degrees. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, another factoid, they got uh, fossilised stromatolites. Uh, you had talked about stromatolites uh, when you talked about Shark Bay. Yes. Um, I can't remember the episode that was. That was before I was starting to put the name of the towns into the, the show notes. Um, but, yes, they got fossilised ones there. And it was also the place of a, a secret World War Two air day air base. Uh, there was a, um, a farm. Oh, not farm. You'd call it a, a station. Yep, called Corona Downs and uh, or Cor- Corona Downs. C U C O R U N A. And they set up a, a big airfield there. But that's not really the um, thing. The thing that surprised me is that in that area um, of the Pilbara, it's a hot spot for subterranean fauna. Now, really? Yes, which I hadn't actually heard of before. Now, given life is everywhere and extreme things, I shouldn't be surprised, but if you'd have said to me, you know, life out there, uh, apparently it's uh, well known around the the world. Well, we'll give it, get a bit of detail. That's the whole point of that's what that's one of the joys of going through these two ticks town talks. So I think, oh, hang on, what's that? I'll just dig a bit uh, deeper. So subterranean fauna uh, refers to animal species that are adapted to live in an underground environment. There's troglofauna and stegofauna, which are the two types of subterranean. And they're either living in little fissures and uh, caves or down in the water table. Um, so their main characteristics of that environment is lack of sunlight, climatic values, climatic values like temperature and relatively relative humidity are generally um, almost stable. Uh, you get a, an even mean temperature. Um, Humidity rarely drops below 90% and there's just sort of limited food source, limited and localised food sources. Uh, why do we care about them is probably a reasonable mm-hmm. <laughs> reasonable question to ask. Like, why do – I thought, okay, that's all very exciting. But uh, it's from the biodiversity and species diversity point of uh, view. There's just a, an array of species to study, particularly those that live in – extreme conditions, their ecosystem functioning, the organisms actually are part of the ecological processes such as uh, nutrient cycles, decomposition and, and energy flow. They're an indicator species, 
which means if you're studying these and you're learning how they are, particularly if you've got them down into to aquifers and that, they can serve as systems of, uh, as indicators of ecosystem health. In the same way as you might hear, you know, a whole lot of frogs croaking, you know, the water's reasonably um, healthy. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it can tell you about, you know, what's happening in the above the water table and below the water table. Uh, there's you know the climate change and adaptation adaptation uh, portion of it, and uh, there's also pharmaceutical potential because they've evolved unique biochemical compounds to adapt to the environment. Those compounds may have potential applications in medicine, um, yeah, new drugs or different uh, different treatments. So that was there's, there's this whole world of um, subterranean uh, subterranean animals to to learn about troglofauna and stego, stegofauna. There was a paper written about the Robe Valley, and the Robe Valley is not that far from Marble Bar, and that was where uh, that was that was where the tie-in came and where it uh, really sort of caught my attention and there was a there's a few references i'll put them in the show notes but i want to particularly mention uh this one by where are you i did note them down this is a mob in w a um why have i not got that glaring out of there there we go uh, yeah, it's a paper in, from 2021 by a mob called uh, Benelongia Environmental Consultants in WA. It's titled A Hotspot of Arid Zone Subterranean Biodiversity. Okay. So, that's so in, like, <laughs> there's, this is one of those things that, like, I feel like, you know, our human-centric idea of the planet Earth very rarely includes... Ooh things below the surface um you know just because you know we don't live underground generally speaking um and when when there is a place that you go underground it's a bit of a novelty you know um outside of the cities obviously with subway systems and 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 tunnels and stuff like that um but to think that there's whole whole networks yes of of creatures living under the surface especially when the surface is so hostile exactly. you know huh. <laughs> and like can get over uh, uh over you know almost 50 degrees celsius over over 100 degrees fahrenheit consistently throughout the year six months of the year is you know over 40 degrees sort of thing um and right below the surface just colonies of bacteria are just thriving. It just the juxtaposition of it is. Oh, these is are these are really little, these are in, not not just bacteria. These are uh, like invertebrates. Oh, like, really? Yeah, yeah, tiny little invertebrates. I, I possibly wasn't um, clear on that. Yeah, I mean there'll be bacteria and that there, but no, these are like little, like tiny little invertebrates and worms and. Um, Oh, a whole array of ones I don't even pretend to um, understand, but yeah, heaps of uh, heaps of invertebrates, and it's this, uh, just this that there's this whole world below there, and that it's 
world-renowned as being a particularly rich spot for these uh, these subterranean fauna. Uh, yeah, I thought it was. Now, you'll, I'll, this, I'll took a couple of excerpts from that paper that I think are interesting. I think you'll like this. So the troglofauna, and you might have heard you know, that term, that term, oh, someone's a troglodyte, they live in a cave. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that troglo, uh, I'm assuming it's going to have some Greek origin there. The troglofauna occurs in small voids and fissures in uh, messes. That, so they're those ones you see the big outcrops with the steep cliffs on the, the side. And up there, they're comprised mostly of, of iron ore. The Steiger fauna are in the, uh, the the water table and the alluvium, which is the sediment that's been deposited over many years by the, the river floodplains. Um, the whole area of Pilbara is apparently rich in this uh, subterranean fauna. They're studying the Robe Valley because that seems to be particularly rich, but they're... Um, speculation is that that's indicative of the actual region. Uh, they got most much of the fauna was uh, collected from 50 metres below ground using mining exploration, wow. drill holes and monitoring wells. So that's a long way down. That's a long way down. So, yep. sorry, while you've also been talking, yeah. I've gone to the Benalongia uh, oh, yeah, yeah. website and to have a look. And I'm frigging looking at a picture of a troglofauna spider... Oh, don't get don't get uh, too far ahead of you. I won't, I won't spoil it, but this is not what I thought you were talking not exactly. about. <laughs> I thought you were talking about you know just little little bits and pieces, not full on things that you would recognise. Like this yep. is crazy. Okay, yep. continue. Sorry, scorpion, sorry. scorpion-like ones, uh, cr- crabs. Were, yeah, it's it's it sort of blew me away. Um, there we got the richness of subterranean fauna in the Pilbara has been explained as partly a result of many aquatic and mesic adapted uh, – this is, this is a technical one, which uh, basically I'll, I'll ex- explain it in a moment uh, – terrestrial invertebrate species escaping the harshest of surface habitats during the Miocene aridification by moving underground, sometimes with dramatic subsequent radiation. And radiation in that one means that they um, – went underground and then radiated out from those habitats, not um, yeah, because it was so dry. mutated into monsters. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the nuclear tests. Yeah, that's that's right. So basically they were living, the, these invertebrates were living above ground in, in water and moisture-rich in, environments. But then as Australia started drying out during the Miocene epoch, which was 23 to 5 million years ago, um, they say that backwards i i think five to 23 but it's it's 23 yeah. to 5 million years ago apparently that's when australia started going from uh you know this this nice you know lush area and not just australia other parts of the world sahara and all that as well and started turning into these dry deserts that we know today so um they said they haven't got many species described to date so they were using codes and uh, and that for them, the Pilbara Craton is one, and Craton uh, is just like an, an area of rock. It's one of the oldest and most stable geological regions in the world, with basement rocks dating as far back as three and a half billion years. 
Uh-huh. So you're talking old, old, old. Um, despite that stability, they said the, the climate has changed st- uh, substantially over the past 20 million years, as we saw when it went from cool and wet to hot and arid. Um, and as Australia separated from Antarctica and began moving northwards. So before we leave the underground and return to the return to the podcast, I want to finish off with a description of one of the invertebrates, which I thought we got to hear about one of them. These are this is a genus called Draculoides, uh, of a troglobite. Uh, it's a troglobite of Northwest Australia, often mistaken for spiders. They are commonly known as short-tailed whip scorpions or sprickets. Uh, schizomids are small, soil-dwelling, eight-legged invertebrates that walk on six legs and use the two modified front legs as feelers. They employ large fang-like pedipalps or pinches to grasp invertebrate prey and crunch it into pieces before sucking out the juices. And on that delicious note, that concludes the Two Ticks Town Talk <laughs> on Marble Bar in Western Australia. <laughs> How interesting. Whip yeah. scorpions are one of those creatures that look so scary, but they're actually, well, I don't know about that one, but normal normal whip scorpions are harmless to people. Um, people would recognize it for our younger listeners, or, or I should say uh, millennial listeners, you'll recognize it from one of the Harry Potter movies. It was, it was in one of them where they were... Um, Basically, they used it to to demonstrate a, a, a spell where they killed it, um, and I'd never oh. seen one before, and until that film, and I was horrified. I was like, "What the actual hell is that? <laughs> it looks like someone combined like a giant spider with yeah. and gave it and gave it like crab claws. Like it's, it's so <laughs> scary looking. Um, turns out they're completely uh, completely harmless to people, uh, which is incredible. Um, and this underground one, I've, uh, again, on the Benalongi website, I can see it here. It is very scary looking, <laughs> but and probably for those very people harmless. who are paranoid about it, just remember if you go up there, there are literally thousands of them crawling under the ground everywhere around. <laughs> <laughs> They're always around. Um, Some of them called Draculoides. <laughs> it's no, it's so incredible because, of course, yep. this this sort of thing may be all around the world, and we just don't know because. Why would we know? I think they're probably like they, they are around the world. These subterranean fauna. There's it's it's definitely something that occurs worldwide. Uh, up there, the Pilbara region happens to be particularly um, a particularly high and notable level. There you go. So interesting. So yeah. interesting. That's changed. So. My, that's like changed my view of the world completely. Actually, I didn't. I had no idea no, that this sort of I. stuff was was. These horrors are right <laughs> below our feet. Um, I would. I would. If you're interested, listeners, because some of these are particularly weird to look at, I would urge you to go to the the Benny Longer dot com dot au b e n n e l ongia.com.au have a look at uh, their subterranean fauna page uh, or just google subterranean fauna and I'll put fauna. it in the show notes too so when you when yeah. the podcast gets downloaded we'll have it in the the sources we're starting to put uh, some of the sources we 
we use just to uh, so that people can find it, just to, to credit ones that have given us some information. So I'll make sure there's a link to that paper in there. Credit where credit's due and all of that. So very interesting. Thank you so much. <laughs>